I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey everyone, it's another day to change the world. So on Wednesday, I got to moderate a panel at my alma mater, Fordham University, in support of He for She. And what we discussed were different ways to address and end gender-based violence on campus. Some of the things we addressed were what gender-based violence actually is and why it exists, how to encourage bystanders to use their voices to participate in a narrative, how to look inward and question ourselves on behaviors that may have perpetuated sexism and violence, and how to define the issues, collect data, and identify what works and what doesn't work. Now, this episode is very heavy. This is one of the heaviest I've ever done. So I just want to give a warning ahead of time. There's strong language used in the podcast uh, because I felt the only way we needed to discuss this is to be truly uncensored. There might be things that trigger you. There might be things that cause you to feel angered. Some of you might even feel attacked. But what I want to encourage you all to do is to make it through the end because I truly believe that gender-based violence affects everyone and that the only way we can ever have a chance at ending it is if we listen to the uncomfortable discussions. So it is long. It's probably one of the longest episodes I've done. But please listen to it. And I would love to hear your thoughts on how we can end gender-based violence. This is part one. And in this part... We get to hear the panelists talk about their thoughts on these things. And then part two will come out uh, in a couple more days or maybe even sooner. And that includes some of what the students thought about what the panelists said, as well as the panelists voicing out their own opinions as well. So stay tuned. It's very heavy. Make sure that you are you are truly in a comfortable space to listen to this. But I think it's one of the most important things that we need to address in today's world. So Enjoy the episode, and please shoot me your thoughts afterwards, okay? All right, welcome, everybody. Um, it's a pleasure to see you all here. It shows that you all care about this uh, very important issue that we're dealing with, gender ends in gender-based violence. And hey, <laughs> the, reason, the reason why we're here is because according to the National Sexual Violence Research Center, it's reported that one in five women will be sexually assaulted at college campuses. And then one in 16 men will be sexually assaulted at campuses as well. You add that to the fact that 21% of transgender and gender nonconforming students also report rape and sexual assaults. It's very clear that it's a big problem. But the dangerous thing is that this is actually still underreported. And my goal here, and what I hope everybody here gets, is how do we create safe environments so that we can prevent these type of situations from happening? How do we create spaces so the people that go through these events feel like they can come up and voice out their, their thoughts and their concerns with these things? And um, so what we're doing here is in support of He for She campaign, which is part of the United, United Nations Women's um, Government. I don't know if you ever saw um, Emma Watson's speech in 2014 when she was talking about this. 
Well, she launched that in 2014, and ever since then, several campuses have taken on the mantle to sort of put on ideathons uh, around the states and around the world. And what we're going to do for the first hour is basically hear from our esteemed panelists on their thoughts on this matter. And then the second hour, I'm going to turn it over to you all to hear your thoughts on ways you feel like you can improve that. And then uh, we're going to record that. Hopefully, we'll disseminate that uh, to you all. But uh, today's focus is really on raising awareness, having a very naked conversation about what's going on in the world, and then maybe how we can move forward uh, towards that. Sound good? Okay, uh, that means that let me introduce you to our esteemed panelist. On my left, we've got Brooke Kurtz, who is the VP of Marketing at Give Lively. We've <laughs> got Cesar Barras, who is an actor of You Watch Gotham, which is a show that, that features young Batman. It's going to be on the finale. Um, <laughs> and then we've got Adrian Ben, who is a professor storyteller, women's issue speaker, podcaster, traveler, nomad, all around good person, friend of mine. Um, welcome. All right, so let's dive into this. So, gender based violence, for those who don't understand, it's basically it's described as behaviors and tactics made to control a person based on their gender. Okay? Now, these behaviors could be anywhere on the spectrum from you know, sexual comments to soliciting sexual favors, to harassment, to rape, and sometimes even homicide. Now, I'm curious to hear each of your thoughts. Uh, maybe you've had experiences with gender-based violence, what you think about that, and why do you think that we have a culture uh, that promotes this type of behavior? That's a great question, if I may begin. You may begin. <laughs> yes, please. Um, what was I going to say? I think one of the things that I want to start with is, like, it obviously comes in so many different forms. Right, like gender-based violence um, comes in a lot of different uh, comes in a lot of different colors, but that's because we kind of jumped right in. That's because, at least on through the perception of a of the women's experience, um, it's always been violent. Like women were originally used as. Um, as kind of like a, a token for marriage, as like another, a word. women have always been objectified, and we're part of like this dowry, you know, it's like you get 10 cows, you get some chickens, a nice dial blanket, and a woman, you know, so, and you can do whatever you wanted to that woman, and that has been the prevailing story for ever. I mean, um, marital rape was made illegal in 1993 you know like this idea that so women have always been living in a like violent culture it's always been violent it's never not been violent um so yeah that's kind of how i wanted to start that off no i know you're basically saying the value of women has always been devalued from way back in time what is dowries representing what women do right to the point uh where we have just you know these things just being abolished now um, and I, I feel free to jump in, but I'm curious about your know, personal experiences with that, and then also, what about our current system sort of perpetuates this this systems that allow for these things to happen? I mean, I, I live in Washington Heights, and I walk down the street, and you know, I I've had to pretend to be several people's boyfriends because of different uh, catcalls. So I'm just curious about any of those things. And feel free, 
There's no censorship here. <laughs> so, you want to just jump in there? Yeah, jump in. Um, hi, guys. My name is Caesar. And first off, thanks, Tayo and Jim, for having us here at Adrian and Book. So, this is really amazing to be a part of. Uh, what wasn't mentioned in my introduction was that I'm also an ambassador and a teacher for the Veteran Joe Project. So, yeah, I'm an actor, and that's the fun stuff I do. And I've worked with JLo and Chris Brown and Jennifer Lopez. and the musical theater and all that stuff, but the most important thing is that I have uh, learned to use my voice. So I'm going to tail end on what Adrian was saying. We have lived in a violent society, period. Yes, women are objectified. Guess what? So are men. So let's please understand that there has been, throughout the history of man, a struggle for control. And it's ancient Romans using boys as slaves, being sold into slavery. Let's not even get into, fast forward a few centuries later, where we're looking at medieval times, and by the time Shakespeare starts writing, by the time, like, who was playing the girl character? Boys. It's that kind of thing. So we, I don't know if we want to make this a strictly boy, strictly girl, strictly man, strictly woman conversation. I think we need to make this a strictly human conversation. So let's, let's talk about that. I'm on the panel because I am a rape victim. I am a sexual assault survivor. And I'm now an activist and a voice for those heterosexual, straight, fucking tattooed, Latino, bald-headed men who think they have to walk around with a certain machismo and don't. Because we are geared as humans to be in a particular stance or the objectified single black mother who thinks she has to have attitude because everyone thinks that. It's it's what is formulated as humans, and now that we're technologically even more advanced, you've got ways to spread that kind of rumor and that kind of misperception via social media. Now it takes six seconds on fucking Vine, which doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> To have someone improbably maybe think, something and the next thing you know that's the essence so here's the the spring break video of us partying the next thing you know Adrian and i are together and as a couple it happens all the time with hollywood and so i think that i would love that if we maybe just address this as humans and then cite specific examples if you guys don't mind with that go that's fine that's fine one percent yeah brooke um yeah so are we going back to the yeah no I, experience with Okay. Personal experience and just why you feel like the system is set up the way it is. Okay, cool. Um, so personal experience is, um, I know Tyra introduced me as Vice President of Marketing for Give Lively. So what we do and what I do in my day job is empower nonprofits for free um, to use, actually we sit at the intersection of technology and nonprofits. So to use technology to empower themselves to get their message out. So I work uh, primarily with uh, women's equality, a lot of uh, domestic assault, uh, domestic assault and shelters um, of smaller nonprofits to help them understand how to empower themselves and spread their message with technology. So I'm super excited for this conversation. And Adrian and I were discussing earlier how it's weird to say you're excited for a conversation that's hard to have, but I am um, because I'm normally talking about tech and empowering these nonprofits, but this is a much more personal lens and something that affects us um, on a personal level as well as, you know, I think um, for women especially, like the personal has always been public, like our bodies are regulated um, when we can and when we can't um, have just 
choose to like have sexual reproductive rights are regulated. Um, to Adrian's point, like we are, we're just um, now it's illegal to rape us when we're married. I mean, we were used as objects. Women aren't even in the Constitution. Like there's, there's just constantly been um, a huge power imbalance for women. So um, I'm really excited for this because I think this is something that affects, or I know it is, something that affects every single one of us, regardless of gender, um, which is a huge power imbalance as far as um, a shift and a, and a shift in our culture of white men having power and having a voice um, and the silencing that happens to oppressed peoples because of that. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I mean, I can go through a bunch of different reasons why I think this culture perpetuates itself. Do you want to go there? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have, you know, I think there's five main things and there's probably way more, but I'm trying to keep it as like a bulleted list where I think everybody, hopefully I think we want to walk away with like, oh, I can see myself being a part of solution in this one way or more than one. Um, I think one of those ways is from a political system, from a legal perspective, um, the odds are really, really against a victim's uh, favor for coming forward. Um, laws are written primarily by men. 80% of Congress is men. 100% uh, of presidents and vice presidents have been men. Um, the Supreme Court didn't have a single woman on it until 1980. Um, lawyers are primarily men, still are, white men also, so we hopefully, or we'll make sure we talk about intersectionality in this, because um, that's a huge whole situation as well. Um, so, you know, there's like a legal and political system that's highly shifted towards men in power and men having a voice and men deciding what those laws are and how they work. Um, then there's a social and economic power, um, which is... 90% of social power in this country is held by men, again, primarily white men. Um, so that's an issue, right? Because those are the people that are controlling money, they're controlling capital, they're controlling social norms, they're setting the stance for um, what's in your best interest as you're trying to you know, save money or provide for your family or get ahead in your career or get ahead in your education. Um, and then, you know, I think this is what Caesar was kind of alluding to as well as like um, a peer culture and what we deem acceptable as human beings of each other um, and who has social power in that peer culture and how do we change that and how do we have conversations um, that actually matter to men and, and their status is, you know, debunked when um, they say something within the context of each other that's uh, degrading. Um, and then I also think there's a big PR issue here. <laughs> Like, this is a men's issue. <laughs> like, this is not a woman's problem. Um, you know, women are obviously affected by this, but, like, why are men doing this um, is the issue. Um, so I think there's, like, some just general PR issues around how we talk about gender inequality. Like, ge people hear gender and you assume woman. People hear race and you assume black, Latino, minority. Um, and that really works in the favor of like a dominant group because you never have to examine it. Like as a white person, I like when they're like, "Oh, we need to talk about race." I'm like, "Oh, I'm, I don't have a race." Like, and that's like literally how I start to think of it. And that's a problem with this because we frame this as a woman's issue, and so men, you know, from 
when they're very young, have been socialized to not want to be a part of a conversation about women's issues. Like, they don't want to be associated with pink. They don't want to be associated with dolls. They don't want to be associated with girly things. So they're like, oh, a woman's issue. That's a really nice way for me to bow out of that conversation. So I think there's a, you know, a PR issue of reframing this to a men and a boy problem that women are the victims of. Um, and then, you know, the fifth thing I think is just, um, a, a very faulty system of reporting that, uh, you know, alludes, creates all of this and perpetuates all of this as to where girls and women, not only do girls and women know that they, it's not in their favor to report it, men know that, um, boys know that, so, you know, it, it perpetuates this, um, this to continue happening and to, to create a culture. Um, so I think, you know, like, those are five really broad things, and I think, there's a place um, for everybody to find a voice and find where they can be passionate and, and sh make some change. Um, yeah, so those are like the five main things, I think. Yes, yeah, I want to bring you back onto your PR comment. Um, because that goes, that goes back to the stories that were told about gender in the first place, the idea that there are two exclusive genders. Um, Man and woman, which is different than sex, which is female and male, which is what we're actually born as, mm -hmm. right? But we live in this culture where it's like, you have a penis, you're a boy. And that means that, they, and there's an entire script as to what a boy is supposed to do. And a boy is not supposed to like A boy is not supposed to be a ballet dancer. A boy is supposed to be a football player, X, Y, and Z. And um, also because the... The term boy is what, and so many cultures praise boys. I'm not, I'm not anti-man in any moment, but like we live in a culture that does have, we live in a world where some countries have sex, uh, sex selected abortions because they know that the baby is female. Like that's just the world that we live in. So, um, so being male is good in that sense. And then the worst thing that you could call someone who's a male is a woman. So um, so it's just important to examine the stories that we are told about gender and identity to begin with and to start to pick apart like that each human, regardless of what genitalia that they are born with, contains so many multitudes, you know, like boys can like pink and girls can be football players. Um, and I think that's one way to start change is to start examining the stories that which we are told, which mm -hmm. we have been told forever. Mm -hmm. Like, and this is, I, I feel like this is a sweeping statement that I don't necessarily want to lock myself into, but you can say throughout most cultures, throughout most of history, these are the stories that we are told and we are really locked into them. And, um, and that causes a lot of tension when there are individuals who choose to uh, break away from that story, which is why there are so many individuals who are still, so many trans individuals who are still murdered in the 21st century are still murdered because they are the ones who are objecting to this story. Yeah, by existing. By existing. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, as you, as you heard our, you know, um, you know, Adrian talked about this, and Brooke talked about this. You're a post-child of intersectionality here, right? You, you are in Hollywood. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're a ballet dancer. You're, you're, 
You identified a straight. You said you're you're a survivor. Yes. Now, in my experience, especially in the culture that I grew up in, a lot of the type of stuff when we define masculinity, you you couldn't come out and say you were assaulted or any of that. Yeah. Like, wait, what? You're a man. Wait, what do you mean? Like, man up type thing, which is a very problematic statement in and of itself. <laughs> I'm very curious as to what your thoughts are in this because you mentioned that human coming, which is a very thing, a very good thing to remind ourselves. What that doesn't say is that a lot of men feel like they have to just keep that to themselves with fear of being perceived as a wuss. And the, I also don't want to you know, take away the fact that a lot of men have been part of the problem in the, in, in the, in the big place. You know, Harvey Weinstein and everyone. So how do you straddle those two lines where there are some men that do need a voice out and they don't want to be perceived as less of a man. And there are men who have created systems that just devalue women. How do you do that? I think most importantly, you have to sit with the idea and the nature that you and whatever you vibrate in nature is going to create the essence around you. So when I teach, and I teach yoga, and I teach breathing, and I teach meditation techniques, and I counsel vets, and I counsel life coach, uh, domestic abuse victims, sexual abuse victims, and the idea that we try to hit upon is that you Ideally, you're aiming to be that small pebble that hits that body of water. So when you hit that body of water, what's the ripple effect you want to create? What we're doing today, you have to understand, is of the utmost importance. Because you as an individual looked in the mirror at some point today and said, by 5.30, 6 o'clock, I have to be down in order to, do this, to listen to this panel. What I did was try to deal with it from the mindset that as a young man, I was traumatized as a physical abuse victim. The Latino culture is, mother's going to be domineering, mother's going to take that chancla off, she's going to throw it across, <laughs> slap you across the fucking head, and the father's going to be the breadwinner, and there's a machismo in being that. So I see some of you guys nodding your heads, great. But what also was instilled in me was the ability to stand up for myself. My mother and father came from nothing and said, if nothing else, you have to educate yourself. So my brother and I didn't get involved with drugs, don't have illegitimate children by five different women. And that culturally happens to everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're black, brown, white, yellow, purple, polka dot. So what I did was when I first got to college, and be mindful, I'm prior military. So take this trauma as a physical abuse victim. Take the fact that I was raped at 15 years old by a 19-year-old female camp counselor. So then I'm being told, yo, man, congratulations, high five. Fuck that. It pissed me off. So then I became the aggressor, the abuser. I was telling Adrian, when my ex-wife decided to leave me, she did so because she was at a detriment to her own safety and health. When things didn't go my way, I would cut. When things didn't go my way, it was nothing for me to sit and take something and pick and next thing you know I'm bleeding why because I didn't have any way to suppress the rage I didn't have any way to find an outlet for it so then you get in the military and it's full of yo don't be a fucking pussy stand up man up so then what do you do fist fight after fist fight after fist fight I took the wrong approach I wish I hadn't become that aggressive I wish that I hadn't stood up for myself and fought that way, but time will tell. All in due time, you're educated and you put exactly where you need to be 
at the very moment that you need to be there. Get to college, fast forward, post-military. I'm playing college baseball. I stopped playing college baseball because I started dancing professionally with a dance company. And would joke around and be like, yeah, I'm going to be in a studio with, you know, I'm surrounded by women. And, but my college baseball teammates just razzed me for being in tights and for doing ballet. So I stood up and said, you've got to continue to talk all you want. And then I took what they were saying and made them jealous because then I started to find success. So you have to find a place where your voice is heard. And even if it means someone is only half listening, they're still listening. So how do I deal with it? I'm now on a much larger platform, a fucking higher soapbox, and I get to do this. Every class that I teach, I'm not shy, obviously, about what I share. But I can't tell you the amount of work I've had to do on myself. Just last night, my lady and I got into an argument. Because I can't let go of this certain ex that she was with. Learn that there's a term for that shit. Retroactive jealousy OCD. <laughs> I can't wait to get into therapy on Monday. <laughs> no lie. So what do you have to do? What do we do as men? My fellas, they're in the room. You stand up and you say, I got this. What do you do as my fellow beautiful women in the room? You stand up and you say, I got this. It really is fuck the world mentality. Because I can get gangster when I need to. Because that's the fuck how I was raised. But here's the issue. We will prevail and we will most certainly start to change things if we do it in a more smarter, unified way. Thank goodness there was the Million Man March in the 90s. We're still having senseless killings for black men. We have the Me Too movement. I am so honored and proud to be an advocate for that. I am so honored and proud to be an ally to the LGBTQ community. So how do we do it? How do we change it? How do we continue to fight for it? Use your fucking voice. Speaking of using your voice and the uh, uh, sorry, the Me Too movement and Time's Up movement, this idea, I want to hear everybody's point on this. Consent, rape culture, that's become the biggest thing right there. What is consent? What is rape culture? And I feel like people always move in the goalposts with these two things. So I'm very curious as to what both of you feel like consent is and what do you feel like is rape culture? Because I think we all need an education on that. Um, you're looking at me. I just met, so I'll, no, I just met, so I'll start. Um, so, I mean, I think rape culture is a lot of how we started this conversation. Um, at least to me, this is what it means, and I think this is how it's defined, which is a culture that perpetuates um, the threat of um, and actual violence against women um, and girls and, you know, men. So, but typically this is by men. Um, so, but of course that doesn't mean that there aren't other cases. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, rape culture stems from so many different things to, Tayo, you started this with saying, you know, cat calls to rape, to homicide, um, like the number one leading cause of pregnant women, pregnant women in this country is their partner. Um, every 15 minutes, somebody in the U.S., a woman in the U.S. or somebody in the U.S. dies from domestic violence. So it's that extreme. Um, and it also, you know, takes place now 
um, a lot online, like which I know we want to talk about, but um, especially in college campuses and with younger people, having to deal with a whole new set of issues with social media and being online. Um, and I actually think it's so important to talk about rape culture from all of these different um, ways in which people are affected. Um, because actually, like, the threat of violence creates the same neurobiological response as violence. So having, you know, somebody tweet at you, like, I'm going to fucking rape, like, rape you, you bitch, um, which is a common tweet to get as a woman, doing anything using your voice, regardless of what you're saying, just having a voice pisses off men. Um, so, I mean, that like, for real, though, that's, like, a very common thing, like, shut up, bitch, like, anything to degrade you. Um, but those comments, like that, that fear of violence or fear of walking alone, uh, to Tyo's point of, you know, having to walk with women in his neighborhood, um, that shoots up your cortisol. It does the same, same thing to your body as if you were actually being attacked, um, from a neurobiological perspective. So I love that now we're talking about rape culture instead of just rape. Um, because it's so much more than that. And even the fear of it is like an extremely um, toxic thing that potential victims would have to go to, would, ha would have to experience. Um, and it allows, in most cases, you know, men, primarily white heterosexual men, to get ahead because women are consumed or girls are consumed with this extreme burden of okay, so like, have I gone through my checklist of all the shit that I need to protect myself for just to get to class tonight? Like, and you're, that's in your mind. So like, now I'm not focused on my chemistry, like, formula, because I'm freaking out about like, okay, so what exactly what were those things that Oprah told me to do? <laughs> if like, I see somebody around the corner. And like, that's, that's real. And that's debilitating for a lot of people. Um, so I think that's really important. And in my mind, that is rape culture, right? Like, just being, it's an epidemic, and I think it, you know, it's, it works in the sense where it um, really constricts girls and women or uh, people who have experienced violence, um, men and boys as well. I mean, it's a great point to bring up um, that boys are a victim of a lot of this. Um, and, you know, it creates a fear and it creates a paralysis of truly fulfilling, you know, what they should be in this world and having an equal shot at it. Um, so that's rape culture to me. Um, consent. Um, I really am a proponent of a controversial thing, um, which is, you know, affirmative consent, um, which is now in New York and California, um, especially on campuses. I think that if we treated um, getting consent from women in the same way that we treated stealing somebody's iPhone as far as, like, dude, are you really sure that I can have this? Are you really sure I can? Like, you know, if we treated it in that same regard as we do with personal property or theft, like, yes, you need to be fucking sure that they want to be engaging in sexual activity with you. Um, so I'm a big believer in affirmative consent. Um, I understand that from, and Tyler and I have had these conversations as friends, like, I understand that that's extremely anxiety-ridden for straight men who are, like, socialized to believe that um, it's masculine to make the first move. And it's like, you know, that's what you're supposed to do is to just like, you know, the media shows us like kind of force yourself onto a woman until she like just stops saying no. Um, like that's what's been portrayed. 
But, and so I think we need to have these like really hard conversations around what consent is um, and how to give it and how to ask for it um, so that men do feel comfortable and women do feel comfortable. Um, but I loved what, I love what this does in the sense that for me, like this topic of consent and Tyra's point of moving the goalpost on it is it shifts some of the fear and anxiety from victims to potential perpetrators. And like now they're having to question, what am I doing this right? Versus women like, oh, is my skirt too short? So I'm asking. Like that's the, those are the fears that we've been having. So like, great, let's get like the potential perpetrators to actually have to think like one one tenth of that before they engage in any sort of interaction with um, somebody who they be, may become intimate with. Um, that's it for now. <laughs> you just to tell me. <laughs> I like, how do you need to follow that? Uh, no, it's, it's beautifully stated. Thank you, bro. Yes. Um, the idea of affirmed consent, you guys, is fantastic. Uh, it goes back to the basis of using your voice. If yeah. you are open and honest and truthful in your conversations, there's no confusion. Mm-hmm. I have been pressured into having sex by a woman. Mm-hmm. Period. It happens to everybody. And fellas, how often have you been maybe in a situation where, you know, it's getting down and dirty and you're feeling like, all right, this is cool, but I don't want to do this. And I'm not saying this to be boastful. I'm not saying this to be narcissistic. But you know how many women fucking talk to me every day? Do you know how many gay men talk to me every day? Literally, same neighborhoods, walking through the heights. Hey, oye, papi. Oye, mas. Catcall. And I don't consider myself like that good looking. My lovely lady thinks I'm the handsomest man in the world, and I think that's awesome. But like, it's that. It doesn't have anything to do with looks. People. And I, and I know that we're going to focus on men and women individually because there's individual stories of that. But people have issues with control. People have been brought into this culture of rape. And how it's okay in casual sex in the 60s, the 1960s brought out female empowerment according to sexuality. And then poor things are finally using their voices to open up sexually. And men, fucking idiots, are like, you're a bunch of whores. Because it's okay for a man to have 100 sexual partners, but it's whorish for a woman to. The disparity. And it's been like that for hundreds of years. So that's why we're here today, to help redefine that. And I'm an old man. You guys that are still in school here, this is up to us. I'm working on my age group, (laughs) early 40s. (laughs) But the fact that I'm sitting next to these two amazingly intelligent, voice-filled bodies means that there's hope. Because somebody's got a birthday coming up. It's not an early birthday. But it's that. It's, it's where were we when I was 16? Where was I when I was 27? So together, we can, I'm telling you, we can do this. I have a question for you, Adrian. Because you're right that that's a... Um, how do I say it? It's, it's a very contradictory... Not contradictory. It's controversial. That's what I was looking for. Controversial statement. That affirmative consent. I wonder, Adrian, if you could talk about the other forms of consent where there's non-verbal consent. Because that's also gained a lot. If you look at wherever you stand on the Aziz Ansari story or like those type of stories, those things happen, right? Right. 
And there are people that said you should be able to have understood that I didn't want anything. Right. Now, that also, you know, it has people with proponents and people that are doing that. But I'm just curious, as, you know, as a woman, as a man, what do you feel about that? Because there's that side as well. Oh, so many. Um, so I guess kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about the ways in which that we're told how to behave based off of, like, day one, you're born. We're going to talk to you like a girl. Like, my sister is currently pregnant, and we found out the sex, and we're already, like, female pronouns. It's a she, 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 she. And me, like, I'm like, I don't want to be that aunt yet, but I'm like, it could be whatever it wants to be, you know? Um, so, so already it's like the stories that we tell men and women are so completely different, and also the way that men and women communicate with each other are very different. Because women are socialized, and I'm very curious about this because I love, I think that there are behaviors that are hormonally based. If you look into um, trans studies and you see how individuals and their behaviors change based on the amount of testosterone or estrogen in their body, like the human body is incredibly malleable. So that's an area that I'm just curious about. Um, But women are definitely socialized to pick up on nonverbal cues. Women, the sweeping statements, women really live in that gray area of like, of communication nuances. Whereas men, it's like, yes, no, yes, no. And also when it comes to sex, men are taught to keep pushing the yes until the yes becomes a yes. You know, men are socialized to be persistent when it comes to sex because that's what's been perceived as romantic. You know, that's what every rom-com ever has been about is a man pushes a woman even though she might not necessarily, um, you know, even though she's not giving an enthusiastic yes. And so actually one of the stories that I tell live, so I, I do storytelling uh, on stage, and one of the stories that I tell live is the first time that I was sexually assaulted was I was giving nonverbal cues um, that I didn't want to do something. And this individual didn't get that until I had to physically leave the room. Until I had to, I told him, I was like, I don't want to do that. And I had to be incredibly explicit, even though like me pushing back wasn't big enough of a nonverbal cue for him. Uh, So the ways in which that men and women communicate around this are completely different. Because if you look at the season sorry thing, and I read that article, and I understand that there's a lot of controversy over the way that it was written, um, but a lot of it was, I was like, fuck, I feel that, you know? Like, I know that I've definitely played into those nonverbal cues, and the guy still just hasn't gotten it, you know? Because he is A, looking for a yes, B, will ignore any instance until he gets that yes, because men are taught to be persistent. Mm -hmm. Women are taught to be passive. Women are also taught to be like, I'm supposed to acquiesce to this. And, um, and I also, I don't want to, I don't want to stir up any like conflict or negative experiences because I don't want to hurt your feelings. You know, like women are definitely socialized to not like cause an uproar, which is probably why a lot of us have been um, silenced around this issue to begin with. Well, that's my feeling. No, but it's it's, it's, it's interesting. You, know, you and Caesar, you talk about that because you talk about that happens to men too. Sometimes you just don't want to. 
Oh, yeah. You don't want to have it. And then you're talking about women with the Aziz and Sorry thing. Now, the Aziz and Sorry thing and the Me Too campaign, that caused people in the Me Too campaign to say, look, now you're going too far. Right? There were people who said, because they said, look, that sounds like a bad thing. And you can say that. But you on the other side. So that's what I'm saying. So right, right, right. What happens if there's that division? Right. Well, can't really agree on. Exactly. So it kind of is getting into this, like, uh, how do I want to say it? It's, it's, it's still kind of perpetuating that, like, but he's, like, but he's being persistent, you know? Like, that's normal, mm-hmm. you know? Because rape culture has been normalized because it's normal. It's been normal for forever. And I'm going to speak on a heterosexual playing field right now. It's been one of the stories that men have been told is that they are entitled to women's bodies. They can grab you on the street, which has happened to me. They can catcall you, which has happened to me. And it's more abnormal for a woman to not experience any type of like sexual harassment or assault than to never have to deal with it ever. That's yeah. insane. So I loved, I know this is a weird thing to say, um, you know, like Aziz Ansari's story was amazing because it wasn't something so explicitly horrific as a Harvey Weinstein. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Or a Bill Cosby, but it got into the gray nuances that people experience every single day when it comes to dating culture. And I loved that people were finally talking about it because we'd been kind of like playing tennis around that topic of like, we know that this is what rape looks like, but it's an entire scale between rape and consent. And there's going to be a lot of awkward, ugly, sticky moments in that gray area. And I think as long as people start to communicate and we start to create conversations in spaces where men can be comfortable asking and women can be comfortable accepting or denying and not have to fear, you know, because one of the things I do in my story is like kind of like I go through this, um, I go through like my mentality of, well, if I don't do what he wants me to do, is he going to hurt me? Because that women still die you know i can't speak for when men are assaulted like what the chances of them being physically hurt afterwards are. i cannot speak to that because again very much underrepresented but like we know that women die if they say no yeah mm-hmm. you know what so this reminds me this is a story so i, I obviously I, I i always say i identify as a, as a straight black man but i'm very much an ally for it for LGBTQ, just like you, Caesar. But remember, I remember an experience. I was coming out of my apartment, 
a guy just came out too, and he was, he was like, hey, he was like, I'm friendly, hi. <laughs> and now we walked out the door, we were like, oh, we're going to the same subway stuff. Guess I'll have a conversation with you. Okay. And then he was like, hey, my name is this. And I was like, yeah, I'm tired. And then we got on the subway, we started to have these conversations, and I could tell, okay, this guy, I think this guy's attracted to me. Okay, and so so then I was like, okay, I'm gonna try and figure out a way to say like, I like, I like I'm not interested, but I think you're cool type thing. So the only thing that came to mind was like, I you know I was talking to my girlfriend, and then, and then once I said that, he rolled his eyes and then looked back and persisted. But have you tried other guys? And then I was like, no, I mean, look, it's cool. I just you just never tried it. And then he kept doing it on the, on the way, and then he started to rub my arm. No, I, I know, and I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, that, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I didn't. I, I was like, oh, I was like, okay, cool, okay. So I rubbed on, and then he proceeded to ask me for like my size of my private parts, and then he wanted a dick, and then he wanted a dick pic. And so then I was thinking to myself, is this how women feel? Because yes. every day, literally because, every day. Because the smart thing is, I wasn't interested, and then I left. And the only way I thought I could leave because I didn't want to. React angrily. So I was like, if I do this, I'm a black man. I might be intimidated. Him is gonna. I was ready to think of all the stories. He asked me for my phone number, and I gave him my phone number. I wasn't even interested. So I was like, why did I do those things if I'm not attracted and all that? And I was like, is that how people feel sometimes? Walking away from that, how did you? How did you feel immediately? I felt. I was like, why did I give my phone number? So then multiply that yeah. times 150,000. Exactly. And, and, like, and, like a minute. And, and that, that was an experience for me. Like, and, a million, million, million. Exactly. exactly. happening right that now, right now, right now. Exactly. Right now. Right. Was that the first time that that ended up going to happen? No, I've, I've been hit on by gay people before, but this was the first time it, it was more. And I, I don't, I, I never, I don't have a problem with it. I just, I've never actually been touched. Touched. And this guy wanted to know my size and everything was like going, going, going and he was like moving on then I was like I didn't feel unsafe because I, I knew I was fine but I felt uncomfortable and I imagine women being in that situation feel unsafe and uncomfortable because of the dynamic so I, you know I'm just sharing enough story to sort of you said multiply that by 10,000 so if someone gives you like the number and all that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're interested sometimes it might just be to get away from right. it. But yeah. that's an excellent are, point. Yeah. As a man, you yeah. felt so much pressure that you gave your phone number. Yeah. And then Tyler, you walked away thinking, why did I just do that? Yeah. And how often has, just by show of hands out of curiosity, and this is not revealing anything. Yeah, there's no video. What <laughs> have you considered yourself to be a trauma survivor of something? Like anything. By show of hands, has everyone here been a victim of something? So right now, please understand that you are not just a survivor, but you're a warrior because you're still standing. And I'm going to keep coming back to that because that's the yoga teacher in me. That's the meditation teacher in me. That's me eight years ago when I decided to seek my emotional sobriety. Either I'm going to continue to hurt people, or I'm going to hurt myself, or I need to change. And it's Tayo and myself and the fellas coupled with Me Too and Time's Up and the He For She campaign, the need to continue to support these voices. Right now, what's in the limelight is the Weinstein scandal and that bastard, and I know him, because he produced my ex-girlfriend's Broadway show and met him, and was he's just, upon meeting him half a dozen times, I was like, this is a sleazy motherfucker. And you can quote me and put it in the Times, but he's rightfully where he needs to be right now, because he had this existing for him for the last... 40 years, plus years 
And those people need to be removed from power because you've got these up-and-coming performers and actors who want success. And so that's where the term casting couch came from. And the term casting couch applies to both men and women. Again, no, I don't want to sleep with you. I don't give a shit what kind of part you're offering me. No, I'm not going to tell you the size of my cop because you're insane. No, and it's graphic like that because that's the world that we're in. And it's sad and it's unfortunate, but we can stand together to continue to push forward in using our voice profoundly, with candor, with open, honest truthfulness. But literally, you have to put some of that bass in your voice and be like, no. Yeah. See? And that was so good because I didn't, in that moment, I also thought, I felt like I should have done something more. I felt like I should have stood up for myself. That's honestly what I felt. And then, um, this is the first time I've shared that story out loud. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> but, so, but I was like, man, what? Why didn't I just stand up for myself? But like, it's not a bad, I was not in the wrong. What is the problem with me? And like, it's not like I wanted to do anything. So, no, you want to say something? Well, that's just because like, that's, we're gaslit into believing that that's what's normal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're crazy for thinking that what was yeah. happening to you was wrong, you know? Yeah. No, okay, so then let's take that to college campuses now, because we're here to try right. and gender-based uh, violence on campuses. So what are some like effective reporting transparency dis- uh, disclosure systems that college campuses can work on to sort of make these type of experiences, you know, move away from the stigma of shame and more like, hey, I want to use my voice. It happened to me. How can we get to that level? Can I ask a question? Because you're a Ford grad. You guys are Ford students, majority. What's the current policy that's implemented in regards to... Um, like a hotline or most com- corporate companies or companies in- implore some sort of employee assistance program. Is there something that you can call? Like, yeah, so, uh, hi, I'm Lee Weber. I'm the assistant hi. director of the Office of Multicultural. So anything related to sexual assault, sexual misconduct, we have a care brochure, and I actually have flyers that sum up the entire care so there's sure, a, it's a, like six, a physical yeah, brochure. Yeah, physical. With a number to call. Yes, there's and, all of that, and then but I have like a like a quick synopsis fact sheet just awesome. so that if folks need it um, after this because I know like the topic that we're discussing should sure. be very triggering. Um, a, I should have mentioned before that counseling and psychological services is open until seven. So if anyone needs to head down there, please do so. Um, but also the fact sheet is there just about so you don't have to be and also the dean of students here at lincoln center keith eldridge um he's available to all students grad students uh, the reason why i asked that is i went to school at prairie view and uh, just outside of houston um and this was between 96 and 2001 and we had an office and there was a number but you know, I'll be damned if you knew what the number was. So I think what needs to be implemented is just a greater sense of that awareness. So maybe it just becomes part of the nomenclature for who you are, conversationally with your friends, and saying, you know, hey, just FYI, like, if you go home do something, because right now, you know, what's hot is is the suicide prevention, and how can we prevent gun violence, and that's a whole other issue to, to deal with later. But maybe these people that were having these issues if they had had someone to talk to so amongst yourselves on a campus just encourage be that voice that encourages your friends to say hey um you know i noticed you're just feeling a little down and out have you talked to somebody i'm, I'm an advocate for therapy and counseling because it, it literally saved my life 
you know. And and so I, I don't know if there's enough of that on campus. That's a good point. I, I don't know either. Sort of uh, uh, encouraging. The encouragement of speaking to someone. The encouragement of, of reaching out on a hotline. You know, whether it's 3.30 in the morning and you're up because you and your, your boyfriend and girlfriend have a fight or you're just stressed or whatever. But maybe that. That's so it's 24 hours, you're saying? 20, oh my gosh, it has to be 25 hours, brother. 25 <laughs> hours. Got to get that extra hour in. Okay, yes. so 20, 25 hours. Okay, but what about... Um, you, I, you both went to college um, in different, I don't know, were you in New York when you did it? University of Georgia. Georgia, and you? SUNY Virgin. Okay, okay, so diverse places. <laughs> right. So what would you have liked to have seen on, on your campus? Um, so I have, I like, you know, as in researching this topic of things that I think are actually successful um, versus what... Um, did not work or worked on or worked as they were supposed to work on my campus. So I think it's important to know, um, you know, like if you receive federal aid, most people probably know this, but if you receive federal aid as a university in this uh, country, you're required to report on this, right? Like you're required to report on um, sexual assault, violence, et cetera, and then what is the process for you dealing with it? Um, and that can range from state to state. I mean, with um, the new administration, there's um, a big difference now in what is required um, to be reported as a victim. Like now there is um, clear and confirmed evidence that's needed as a victim, um, which is a big increase into what used to be um, needed under Obama and even under Bush. Um, so, you know, like there are implications of um, shifts in power. Um, which is why the first thing I mentioned was political and legal issues and um, a huge redistribution of power that needs to happen there. Um, but, you know, so there is a difference now with that on, on and that applies to campuses. Um, but something that I really, really like, and I'm going to, like, be positive about this, that, um, that I've heard of and that I've uh, looked into is a system called Calypso, which is actually... Um, been deployed. It was. It's only been around for about a year, but it's now on eight different campuses. It started on two, and what it is is when you um, experience an incident or you're a victim, um, it's an online digital reporting system. So you log all of that. You don't have to go through the process of um, a very um, degrading, demeaning process that's normally like driven by men in power. Um, so this process allows you to record it. Um, and then you can set up restrictions of been about when you want it to be reported to authorities, which um, the primary way in which it's used is when another victim on campus names that same assaultant, that match is automatically sent to authorities so that there's a power in numbers, which I think is super important. And I think, Caesar, you've been talking about that some too. It's like a power in standing up for each other and a power of knowing that not only, you know, a lot of reporting is done out of empathy, which I think is amazing, and that's why I speak um, about personal experiences that I've had, is an empathy to help somebody else. So um, also the average perpetrator on on average um, commits an act at least six times. So even if it's just the first two, even if it is one more person, you're preventing four other women, or four other, I'm sorry, victims from experiencing that. Um, so I encourage people that are involved in campus um, regulations and how they're dealt with to look into some of these newer, modern um, technology advances um, that really are like survivor first 
and not dragging out this process of right after you've been assaulted. Uh, you know, like, I think, you know, I love that Tyo made the point of right after he's like, of just ask, being asked for his number, he's so flustered and he's so like, oh, I did something wrong, I did something wrong, I did something wrong. You get sexually assaulted and something violent happens to you. The last thing I wanted to do was to go talk to um, and I think that, you know, is a huge problem is why, you know, why it's underreported, why, you know, then when you go, the average time that somebody does report something now is 11 months. So you go a year later, like you don't have evidence, especially now under DeVos and Trump, you have to have clear and concise evidence, but I mean, it's a reality. So I think that there are like things like in this system is called Calypso. So I encourage anybody to go online, check it out. Super legit. Um, and, you know, it's something that you could bring up to your administration uh, of your college. It also is great for, like, a military That's stuff, impressive. right? You know, it's great for anything like that to where you keep, um, you feel more in control as a victim, right? Because I set up this, the situation in which that that report will go. And if nobody else ever reports that person, then, then I don't ever have to go talk to the police. But you do have the option to go and talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You set up how that works, like what the what the controls are for the report to immediately go to the authorities. Um, so yeah. So no, it's, it's really good. I'm gonna get to you. I want, I want I want your thoughts on this, Adrian. Yeah, yeah. And there's one more question after this. I'm gonna turn it over to you all because I want to hear your ideas on any of this. So if you have any thoughts, please be prepping them because the the next thirty to forty five minutes will be based on your thoughts. But um, yeah, Adrian, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, no, I love that, and that just, like, triggered, uh, that reminded me of, um, there's an app, and it's completely slipping my mind, I might, like, look it up one more, uh, afterwards, where you can send, it'll, you can automatically send, like, a text to a friend, and it will be, like, it will text that friend once you have reached your destination mm-hmm. safely. So, like, I went to SUNY Purchase, which is, like, a pretty like, wide campus, like, lots of, (laughs) um, you know, like, you could easily walk for, like, 20 minutes to get from one place to another, and I think it would have been awesome, and it's, like, a a weird college uh, campus, but it would have been nice to know that, like, I could text somebody and be, like, and have it automatically, like, I guess it's, like, geolocated. I need to look this up. I'm so rambling right now. Um, so there's that. And then I think another, I think another like larger thing is just to kind of watch how you and your friends communicate with one another. And if you notice that your friend, um, or even yourself might say, I would just say like start analyzing the language that you use around hookup culture and, um, and if it is inadvertently perpetuating um, the impression or stigma or slut shaming of somebody, and if that shit happens, call your friends out on it and be like, "Stop that! You're perpetuating patriarchy." No, I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, definitely be mindful of your language, be mindful of your own, um, and be mindful of what you can control, and then go to the appropriate authorities when you cannot. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to add to, I agree with all that, Yeah. Um, to add to specifically campuses, um, you know, I was just listening to Melinda Gates talk yesterday at South by Southwest, which is around changing work, um, the workplace environment, because the workforce has dramatically changed, 
and the workplace was established for white men. Um, so I think the same thing is true of campuses, right? Like the first like woman was on a Harvard Law campus in 1950. Um, the term sexual harassment wasn't even a term until 1980, yeah. and that was because of an MIT uh, woman who was so harassed that they had to create a, like, define that as a term. So this is, like, all relatively new, and I think um, that, like, we need to be having these conversations that um, I'm so grateful to be a part of that involve, you know, the new like student body is not white men. So like how do we and, and the laws were written for white men, the policy was written for white men. So like I think there needs to be a fundamental change in that and I think it has to be led by students. Um so I encourage, you know, like I I hope this panel leaves everybody here inspired to realize that, you know, it takes you standing up for yourself. Like this the like university culture and academic culture and workplace culture was not built for you. Like, and it's not going to be built for you unless you change it. Um, so, you know, I just think it's important to like look back at the history. Like, women are new to college campuses. Like, this wasn't built for us. There aren't rules for us. Like, and the people scrambling to figure it out are white men in power who have every incentive to underreport rape so that their college looks better on an admissions to when parents are trying to get their rich white daughter in. Um, so, I mean... It's ironic, by the way. What? Uh, on the reporting to get your daughter Well, they are. Like, yeah. so, so they have to report, right? Yeah. On, like, so they do everything they can. Like, yeah. even now, um, which I think is, like, if we're going to talk about awful ways to handle this, I think mediation is an awful way to handle this. Yes, and that's now, you know, become uh, approved under this administration. So what mediation implies is that it's it's two people are at fault here. And like mediation works if like you and your roommate are like pissed off about like Wi-Fi. Like it doesn't work for you as a victim to have to go sit with like an advisor and sit and face your uh you know, your assaultant and you come to the table with solutions for how there was a miscommunication. Or like you come to the table with like oh, you know, we can work this out. Like, that's, it's not appropriate. Um, so I think, you know, steering clear of, like, anything that gives the impression that it is on a victim to reconcile a situation. Um, and yeah. that's what mediation is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's like a, you know, a recent with this new administration that's now appropriate. Um, that's something that's being used on a lot of college campuses. Um, and I, you know, I would empower anybody that um, has a voice in this, which you all should, um, to knock that down. Yeah, yeah. Because mediation allows you to basically create a scenario where you're really you're yeah, you are re victimized. Yeah, and you're going through that trauma over again. Please That's go ahead. All wonderful, and please be mindful that you're at Fordham University in New York, New York City. You know, Prairie View University down south. Smaller school, six thousand total grad and undergrad students. Your voice is more often heard than, let's say, Stevens College outside of Columbia, Missouri. Beautiful campus, wonderful school, but you you carry that clout. So the fact that we're doing this here at Fordham, you know, University of Georgia is where Brooke went, like major campus. The voices down there are going to be heard, 
So you have to understand that you're speaking for those that are oppressed and suppressed. So your voices have to ring out a little bit louder. And we keep talking about voice, and that's what I keep coming back to, but it's essentially that. What are you doing to communicate? What are you doing when you sit with your friends and one of your boys or your girls says something just really inappropriate or just downright just uneducated, uneducated, and you get to say to them, hey, that wasn't that wasn't cool, or you know, I don't appreciate that, or no, not all Latino people do that. Uh, no, that's just wrong. You're helping diverge them. So the path that they're on, which is altered by just that millimeter, is going to put them 60 nautical miles somewhere else, maybe for the better. So that's the essence. The little things that you think aren't going to affect people with the little thing that you do, if it's one person that hears you out for just that evening, you're affecting them. And then that's the ripple effect. Thanks a lot, Cesar. And that actually leads into the final question. For you, uh, you, Adrian, have said that as well. What attitudes can we question about ourselves? What questions can we ask of ourselves to, you know, to enable us to stop perpetuating these cycles? Because, you know, I'm a guy, I've been with a lot of guy friends, I've seen these conversations, I've seen rings taken off, I've seen this is my night type conversation, so I know these type of things. So what are those type of things that we need to ask ourselves honestly so that we can also be more of a solution? You, talk, you touched on that, Caesar, in your, in your comment there, but I'm curious, though, from a you know, from, you know, human perspective, what do you think as well that we all can do internally to help solve this? Uh, obviously, being mindful of the conversations is a big one and being mindful of your of what is and is not like misogynistic or hateful or oppressive or race racist classist kind of language to begin with um and calling yourself out on it i think is a big like just being mindful of it is like a big part of it to begin with um I feel like I had a thought and it's going to come back to me. So, Brittany, take okay. it and then I'll... Um, agree with all yeah. that, for sure. Um, I would also say, too, like, recognizing that we are all part of the patriarchy. <laughs> so, um, like, I love this question of thinking inwardly and, like, how do actions and attitudes and behaviors and instincts that we have... Um, Continue it because they do. Like even somebody that's a very proud feminist and loves to speak on this topic and think about this topic, like I'm still just as much affected by my like my attitudes and my first instincts are that which I was conditioned um, to have. So you know, I think there needs to be, as with any big shift in societal norms and changes, like having empathy with yourself and with others of like understanding that like, okay, I was socialized this way. Or like to Caesar's point and, um, you know, of talking to, when you're talking to other people, calling them out, like, I think it's really important to have empathy from where they, where they come from and why they think that way. And like people change, but to get people to change, like you can't just tell them that they suck. Like you need to explain to them like, oh, you know, dig into a little bit of like unpack that statement. Like, you know, I know that sounds formal and nerdy, but, like, help me explain why you think that's okay um, so that I can understand, like, as your friend, like, what am I missing as to why you've been taught that that's okay? Um, but I think, you know, I struggle with this, but I think it's, like, really having patience and empathy for people that don't 
think like everybody, I'm assuming, thinks in this room or care about this topic. Um, like, you know, accept the fact that, like, our sex ed in this country is disgusting and people aren't educated on this. Like, people aren't educated on problems that, uh, you know, victims face and how they perpetuate that. Um, and even victims aren't educated on it. Um, so, like, be kind to yourself and be kind to other people when you talk about this um, because I think it takes, you know, a long time for people to arrive. Um, and I would also say, too, you know, just like on the, on the time, patience, understanding, empathy, hard work, um, like the, the first time that I was sexually assaulted, I was 12, and I didn't even know that I was until last year. And, like, I study this. So, like, there's a big, like, it takes a long time um, to even, A, like, be able to reconcile that. For, first of all, like, for me, uh, I didn't have the vocabulary or the language or the knowledge to know what that was. And then once I got that knowledge, um, I just, like, saw the word victim everywhere. And I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not a like, I don't associate myself with that. That's not my vibe. So I, that was really uncomfortable. So I think there's like, you know, and then it was like, okay, I've experienced it. So like, I feel more comfortable saying that I've experienced this. Um, but I think you just have to be like, so um, allowing of people to go through this journey, both like personally of reconciling as, you know, somebody that's experienced it. And also somebody that's trying to learn, and I'm so proud to sit by Caesar because I, 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 because it's like, you know, I also think we touched on this a little bit with the Aziz Ansari thing of like the gray area, right? Like it's very easy and rape culture is perpetuated by this idea that there's this evil Harvey Weinstein that like crawls out of the alley and rapes you and like crawls back. Like that's not who is going to attack you. Like, people that are going to be uh, perpetrators are people that are our friends, are people that are our allies, are people like Aziz Ansari that's a feminist. So, like, having those hard conversations, I think, is so important. And having empathy for um, past perpetrators. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but, like, probably a male in your family has done this. So, like, how do you have both empathy and understanding that that's how they were socialized um, while also being like firm and strong and that that's not okay. So I knew that was like, whoa, all over the place. But those are like my, you know, like thoughts as far as, you know, taking away as to how I'm trying to deal with this internally um, of looking at men that I love and realizing that they're probably not going to say it, but they've probably done this. Um, and this Caesar's actually the first straight man that I've heard admit to similar behavior. I've never heard it from, from people that I respect. Yeah. I've never heard it. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, again, it's about finding your own voice. I, I feel very lucky. Um, I was telling the ladies up here, uh, my ex-wife woke up one morning and just got tired of the bruises on her arms for me shoving her, holding her, and she left. And then I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's, that bitch is this, and it's great. And it just really, and, and it's a testament to, and this isn't going to make this religious, it's a testament to, to God saying to me, either you fix this or you're going to die. 
And I decided I don't want to die. I, I like living. I like being alive. I like, I like what I get to do. I like getting to wake up in the morning and I don't answer to anybody but myself. But it took 40 years. It took 40 years. And so courage that exists in you is doing something scared shitless. Like it's not an absence of fear. It's standing up for what you believe in and how do we do that? You have to look at the individual. So when you get home tonight, look in the mirror and just say, hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm proud of you. I love you. Thank you. I'm sorry. So that you can stand up and again, reverberate that energetic aura that's needed. I'm lucky. I got real lucky. And because of my voice, I've been able to help alter for the better the courses of several of my other... I, we were speaking to one of my best friends. He's one of my fraternity brothers, and I've known this man 23 plus years. Two tours in Iraq and Afghanistan came back, was mentally discharged from the U.S. Army because of a disability involving PTSD. Why? Because members of his own regiment, men, tried to rape him. And now, he's an advocate. He hosts programs called Views from a Vet, Screaming from the Inside. He just lost his wife to colon cancer. Like, everyone is going through some shit. So, in regards to sort of taking the perpetrators and trying to understand where they came from, it's not accepting what they do, and it's not saying to them, what you did was okay, it's going... This is socially what happened, and this is the route that you went on. So how can I help to empathize with that? And then how can I help to alter so that the next person doesn't do that? I also teach and speak at Rutgers University for a program that helps incarcerated individuals start their bachelor's degrees programs. So what I do is I teach them breathing and meditation techniques so that they can enter the civilian world calmly because you're leaving a regimented three square meals a day organized, driven by someone else, society, and then you're in this free society, and one of my guys came out, got into a fight. Why? Because he was waiting to catch the bus on campus and somebody bumped him. Trigger. Because in prison, you get bumped, you're going to lose your shit. So what do we do? I stand up and I say, you take a deep breath. We speak, we've spoken to breathing, and we've spoken to the psychological physiological effects of just consciously breathing. We spoke to my girlfriend knows if I start to have a panic attack, she puts her hand on my heart and she just whispers for me to breathe because the physical act of putting your hand on your heart activates the parasympathetic nervous system because you will go into fight or flight. It's what we've been genetically predisposed to do. As a man, I've been genetically predisposed to feel jealousy because I don't want another caveman to come over here and take my woman. As a woman, you have been genetically predisposed to feel jealousy and anger because you don't want to raise someone else's child. You don't want your man to go off and impregnate someone else. So what we have got to do is understand that from the roots, our DNA, what we have come from as humans, can and will be altered, but we have to rewire. I love the term rewire because I just learned it. <laughs> My therapist over the last five weeks has been like, we got to fucking rewire. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it makes sense now. We just have to rewire. So look at yourself. Use your voice. 
Wow, I can't think of a better way to end that. That was amazing, Caesar. That was amazing. Brooke, that was amazing. Thank you so much. I want to thank you all for sharing your story, for being vulnerable, for being brave enough to talk about this difficult topic. It's something that's affecting us all, whether we admit it or not. And um, the fact that you three spent an hour just to share your stories and strategies, something that I'm forever grateful for. So thank you for that. Um, this concludes the panel session. We want to turn it over to you all. What are your thoughts? What are your ideas? You all are campus members. You're Fordham Rams. Um, so, yeah, Rams. So what are your thoughts? And please do not be shy. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.